The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Hey, this verse, this saying is, is based on 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And if you read that in context, it was talking about different things, and it just like thrown this little sentence in there. It's like, okay, like last minute, hey, keep yourself from idols, okay, as you leave. So we're gonna dig into what that can possibly mean. So this is more than just a command, it's a warning. Don't allow anything apart from Christ to influence you. Idols represent demonic power, which we don't really talk about, which comes from disobedience, which is sin. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 18 through 22. Consider the people of Israel. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Some, I mean, it's food for thought to think about what are we actually doing when we talk about idols. And we're going to really piece apart what is an idol today. Because I know you're all thinking about the golden calf. So that's not all it is. But remember that God wants us to do what verse 31 says. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Why? Not because, oh, it's a good Christian. I suppose to glorify God. No, it's because there are forces that we don't see that have power in our lives. And if we are not glorifying God in everything that we do, that's going to influence our lives in a negative way. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall not have no other, you shall not have no other gods before me. That is the first commandment. Sorry. Clicking too, too fast. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So idolatry, the concept is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we have to know that idols, idolatry goes into the New Testament too. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So idolatry is that which distracts from worshiping God. Distracts. That's a key, key word because distractions seem subtle. You know, if we had kids, a little kids trying to talk to us, we got a phone or something in our hand. We're trying to multitask. This kid is trying to talk to us. Have a kid ever taken your face and turned to theirs? Like, pay attention to me. You're distracted. That's what we do to God. It, I don't know why it's doing that. That's weird. An attack on God, idolatry is an attack on God's exclusive rights for our love for him, our trust in him, and our obedience. Idol factories. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. Idolatry is still trying to work its way into our lives and distract us from worshiping and obeying God. Tim Keller says, the Bible tells us that the human heart is an idol factory, taking good things and making them into idols that drive us. 
You may need to call Rachel. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Thanks, Melissa. Idolatry is not just a pagan issue or an Old Testament issue. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshippers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. They built these enormous temples to worship their idols. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed in this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate to you. Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. They built these enormous temples to worship their idols. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Not just about golden calves anymore. Can you relate to that? American idols. There's American idolatry. Idolatry is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Let's read this. I have this posted because it's just easier than flipping through my Bible. For the wrath of God is... This is Romans 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That word is key, suppress. Remember that. For what can, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Idolatry in the city. Remember Paul in Acts 17 he was going to Athens, and I think he was waiting on Silas and Timothy to join him there. But while he was waiting, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. That's an emotional response, what he saw there. Because he saw in that city that that city was full of idols. I used to live in San Antonio, Texas. And <laughs> San Antonio, Texas, back in the 90s, was one of the highest rate of overweight people in the country. There were food, fast food places, like a strip, like a road strip, fast food places everywhere. It was full of fast food places. This place that Paul saw was full of idols. What would the Apostle Paul see if he walked through the cities of America today? 
religions, there are a lot of religions in America, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. In Chino Hills, California, there's a Hindu temple. I don't know if anyone has gone to this place. It is a tourist attraction. We should, as a group, go just to be like, what? And it has like a food court in there. It has, it's like a museum, but they actually do pray there to their idols. They have services there. So this is something people just walk up to. So Paul would see that. Paul would see this Buddhist temple in Hacienda Heights, California. Of course, there are many others, but these are just one example where you can go and you can join in and worship their gods with them. If Paul went to Hollandale Beach, Florida, he will see Pegasus and this dragon. So there's a dragon down here that he's defeating. He's, he's stomping on it. So let me just tell you a little bit about Pegasus. Uh, he was a favorite theme in Greek art and literature. In late antiquity, he, uh, Pegasus' soaring flight was interpreted as an allegory of the soul's immortality. Modern times, it can be regarded as a symbol of poetic inspiration. Spiritually, Pegasus symbolizes living the life we were born to live. Have you ever heard that? Without restraints or fears of being judged, Pegasus invites you to close your eyes and just for a moment imagine the life you feel you were born to live. Imagine if we did that now. You guys would like kick me out of here, right? He represents living life at the highest vibration where the doors of possibility are flung wide open. When we are living from the essence of who we truly are, our, our vibration soars. We feel as if anything is possible. We feel as if we can fly through the skies on the wings of love. Crazy, right? This is what people believe. There's a history for why they have that there in Florida. You can easily look that up. Parthenon and the goddess Athena, Paul would see if he went to Nashville, Tennessee, country music capital of the world. Why is this here? There's a history behind that too. But Athena is the goddess of war. And this place here is where she's housed in. And on this thing, you see a parade of pagan gods filled the pediments on both ends of the Parthenon. In New York City, if Paul went to New York City and went to Rockefeller Plaza, he would see Prometheus. And Prometheus, who would see, he was a titan of Greek mythology. He was a deity. And this is located in the sunken plaza. And it has like a skating rink, as you can see. People can skate up to it. Behind the statue, uh, the, there's an inscription that says, Prometheus, teacher in every art, brought the fire that hath proved to mortals a means to mighty ends. Mighty ends meaning enlightenment and achieving godliness. And Prometheus is also flanked by his creation, uh, youth and maiden, and they are considered to be mankind. So in other words, Prometheus's, we are Prometheus's sons and daughters. That's where we came from. That's what that teaches. So anyway, idols of the heart was first mentioned that phrase in Ezekiel 14.3, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Definitely read that in context. This is God talking to the prophets. The elders are coming to the prophets to get some wisdom and insight, but they have idols in their hearts. So idolatry starts in the heart with our desires. The stumbling block 
It's what they put, that's the temptation that they had to sin. They put it in their view. You know, they can see it. Maybe right now we can watch it on TV. We, it's all over the internet. It's all over Instagram. And they kept themselves in a state of alienation from God. So that's a caution. That's a serious caution because all of us, and we'll break it down with the idols, uh, what they look like for us today. But it really affects our relationship with him. Like you said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and with the cup of demons. So it's, it's very, very, very serious situation. Becoming one with our idols. Psalm 135, 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They are mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there breath, any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, as do all who trust in them. Sorry. <laughs> when these desires become ultimate, our hearts turn them into idols. They consume us, and we become like them. So they consume us, and we become like them. Remember Amy Winehouse. She was a singer and a songwriter. And she died of an overdose of alcohol. But she had a, a dark time. She was bulimic, uh, just dark thoughts. You can read her lyrics. But if someone were to make a movie out of her life, that actress would have to become like her. That actress would have to internalize who she is. That actress would have to go to a dark place where she was in order to portray her for real. Like, well, it just really was her. That is, that is, that is an intentional thing that you do, right? And so that's why it's so important that we pay attention to what we're focused on, what's driving us, what's consuming us, because we become that. Our character becomes that. We take on their image and identity, suppressing our identity in Christ, because as believers, we, we are already identified. That's not taken away, but it is suppressed. We pursue our idols, believing that they will satisfy us and give us the desires of our hearts. We put all our efforts into serving our idols to appease them, to give us what we want. Covetousness is idolatry. And we read that earlier. Covetous is craving or craving or an inordinate desire, paying attention to that, exceeding reasonable limits. You know, we can say, okay, this is what I hate when you talk about diets. Um, eat in moderation, because I, I myself struggle with gluttony in my life. There's a little booklet called Help, I'm a Slave. For, I'm a, what is it? Help, I'm a Slave to Food. And because I, I know that experience and I'm looking for help everywhere else. And they say, oh, just eat in moderation. It's like, what does that look like? My moderation can look like this as opposed to somebody else's like this. So it's like, this is moderate. It's like, no, that's way too much for you. So we have to, what reasonable would be and we'll get more into this. Is this affecting your relationship with God? Is this distracting you from worship of God? Do you feel like, um, I can read my, I should read my Bible right now, but I would just rather watch this Netflix episode. You know, it's, it's common, it's normal day of life, which means that this is intentional, this is that serious. So to be covetous is to be consumed with the possession of something. Identifying with our idols, we are made in God's image. We humans 
we're created to identify with and reflect the character of what we worship. So that's the difference that we make. Then animals, animals can't do that. We humans are made special to reflect his image. When we take idols into our hearts and worship them, we become like them. We take on the characteristics. We take on God's identity. That's what God wants, to reflect his glory. Ask yourself, what do I want that I would sin to get or have sin to get? Anybody want to answer that question? What do I want that I would sin to get or have already sinned to try to get? What or who do I use to define myself? If Jesus wanted me to give this up, could I? You might, yeah, sure I could. But would you? Would you give that up? Four core idols, if you look at your handouts, there are references at the end. David Pallison wrote an article on idols of the heart in Vanity Fair, where he mentioned these idols, four core idols. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he kind of mentioned that too. So let's go through that. The idol of power is power, approval, comfort, and control. The idol of power, the desire to obtain the capacity or the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. When you want that power, you want to be in control. You want to build your own empire. And and that's your God. Or approval, the desire for others to see you as good and acceptable. This is people-pleasing. The idol of comfort the desire to maintain a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. Is that my cue? I asked her to remind me of what just happened this, this, this weekend. So I've been having some health issues and stuff. And so migraine started, I woke up yesterday morning, migraine started. And at the pre, so I was at the pre-conference yesterday. It was great. I was moving through. And by, I think by after lunch, it was just, you know, if you ever had migraines, you know what that heaviness feels like. And for me, it's a three, it lasts for three days. And then after the third day, the sun is bright, the sky is blue. But during that time, it's, it's dark. And so I had to leave early yesterday. I couldn't finish the pre-conference. And I, and I was devastated. I always come to these conferences. I'm always a part of it in some way. I didn't want to miss Deepak's uh, message, but I, I couldn't do it. So I'm at home. I'm like, okay, at least I can get some things done. It was just too heavy. I couldn't do anything but lay down. And I'm like whining, whoa, it's me. Oh, Lord, you know, did you, did you even call me to this? Why am I feeling this way? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then I was reading something in the scriptures, and it's just reminding me that it could be more than just a physical thing. There's an element of spiritual warfare out there. Now, when people ask me, how are you doing? And I tell them I'm um, feel crappy, basically. Um, okay, I'll pray for you. Thank you for praying for me. But spiritual warfare is not the first thing that comes to our minds. We don't think there's another reason there. Uh, you're just sick or you're just stressed out. That's the popular thing. You're stressed. So I began to pray because I think I, went, I saw um, Ephesians 6 or something. And so I thought, well, you know, people in yoga, you know how they sit and they meditate. And what they're doing is that for them and, and their gods, they're receiving something from them, right? Which is a dangerous thing for us to do, for Christians to do. You can't do that and participate in that. Cup of the Lord, cup of demons. But 
there's a point to opening yourself up to God, to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I did. I started praying the armor of God, armor right there, all the pieces. Just So anyway, later on, um, Anna texted me this morning and she's like, how are you doing? So I was just busy getting ready. And then just to answer a question, I had to reflect, how am I doing? It's like, you know, God is really sustaining me. The pain is gone. The nausea is not there. I was super concerned about standing here feeling like that. So God is sustaining me right now. This is the three-day migraine. So I still got tomorrow. So you guys can keep praying for me. I appreciate it. So, but my idol is comfort. I want to be comfortable. I don't want want any any pain. I want physical ease. And I will do anything, take any drug to get it, whatever I got to do. Idol of control, the desire to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. And these can overlap as well, but some just may stand out. So the rich young ruler in Luke 18 is an example. So Christ instructed him to sell everything he had. That was unique in and of itself, but he did not do, but he did so to the point to point out that what was the one important quality missing in this man's life. God didn't come first, and that is the message of the first and second commandments. If, if God doesn't come first, something else does. That's just how we're made. There's no, there's no middle. There's no like, like a neutral place. It's either you're worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. In the case of the rich young Mueller, his many possessions came first. So the idol of power. Isaiah 14, 14, you guys probably remember this. This is about Satan. He was saying, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He wanted that power. Matthew 23, 11 through 12 says, the greatest among you. And this is how when you're renewing your mind, if you desire power, this is where your mind needs to be. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that is a promise from God. Unfortunately, we see people in power. They look like they're thriving and there's a moral failure somewhere. And the whole thing comes crashing down. People are hurt. Um, The idol of power. So there are some examples. You can break it down even more. Performance. Is your Christianity performance based? I have a friend who uh, grew up with a father who told her, she's African-American, you have to be the best. And they were growing up in Indiana, a predominantly white area. It's like, you got to be the best in everything. You got to do this, you got to do that. She played basketball, you got to be the best. And that was her understanding. That was her, her upbringing. And when she came to Christ, that same mindset was there. So anytime she's trying to follow the Lord, it's performance-based. It's like, it, it's like when I mess up, I can't go to God now because I got to get this right before I can go to God. So that's performance-based Christianity in trying to control or so it, all, it all mixes together. Perfectionism, as you can imagine, critical spirit. A person who has a critical spirit, they do try to have control. Let me read a little sample here. A critical spirit takes the authoritative position to condemn, to tear down, and destroy others with our words. The idolater is blind to the damage he is causing in his own life and in the lives of others. So if you're always a critical person, if you grew up and your parents were critical of you and you you felt that, and that's all you know how to do to relate. So when you come to Christ, you are very critical of other believers. 
because that's all you know. And you, it, so it's like all kind of stuff that comes out. Revengeful, superiority complex, rebel. The idol of power, an inordinate desire for power, excessive or unreasonable. I want to influence others so badly that I spend time and money building my self-confidence by attending self-empowerment seminars and watching Tony Robbins' I Am Not Your Guru on Netflix. I mean, did you guys watch that? I mean, you said just for entertainment value alone, watch that. It's crazy. The truth, put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 3. Idol of approval. Genesis 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. This is seriously her God. And that, during that time, having children were very, it was very, very important. And, and that was her approval in that community and her, and her culture. And it became her God to the point where she wanted to die if she didn't get it. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win approval of human beings or God? It's one or the other. There's no neutral. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the idol of approval, self-hatred, self-pity, attention seeker, insecurity, people pleasing, comparison. Does anyone want me to read a particular one? Just yell it out. Which one? Self-hatred. Self-hatred is a distorted view with misplaced value on self. Self-haters tell lies and believe lies about themselves, which ultimately lead to self-crucifixion. The enemy comes to kill, but Jesus Christ came to give self-haters abundant life. Self-haters, well, what typically happens is something happened in the past and they just cannot get over it and they look in the mirror, they don't like who they are, they feel like they are uh, living a life um, that's fake, and if anybody gets to know them, they're gonna see that they are, you know, you're fraud. Um, so they're, they're always condemning themselves, and what that is doing is actually, what are you saying? If God created you, what are you saying about God and his creation? So you have to be careful about that, because that, that is a sinful area. So the idol approval, inordinate desire for approval. I want to be unconditionally loved and accepted by others. I work hard to please them. The truth, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot have both. Sometimes people are suffering with stuff. It's like, yeah, but I'm trying, I'm trying. And that's, that's where we are a lot. It's like, yeah, we are trying, but to recognize that this is my goal, is to, is to please Christ. I know I struggle this, with this. This is my weakness, people-pleasing. So you know, this is what I need to work on in order to please Christ. Thank you. Idol of comfort, Jonah 4, 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Second person. Um... It is better for me to die than to live. Somewhere in James chapter one, it, I call it the cycle of sin. I can't think of it now, but when you know, like sin is conceived, it leads to death. I mean, that's the ultimate end. You don't survive, you know, worshiping idols. It will kill you. That's their goal, to destroy you. 
They will not give you what you want. Second Corinthians one, three through four. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Um, remember this, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, that word suffering is going to come up again. And just know that we do share in his sufferings. Part of idolatry and the idol of comfort is to avoid suffering. Idol of comfort, convenience, self-protection, greed, laziness, escapism, cynicism. Which one you want me to read? Self-protection. The idol of self-protection violates the command to love others, right? If you think about it, self-protecting, your, you're protecting yourself, so you're keeping people out. I can't love her because she seems a little harsh. I don't want to go there. The idolater is ruled by fear and lack of trust in God's protection. True protection is found in the love of Christ. Um, the love of Christ softens us. It takes away that fear of somebody trying to hurt us. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to, that person, you know, you grew up in a way that somebody treated you a certain way. And it's like, no, I'm not, I don't want to get in those types of relationships because I was hurt and I need to protect myself. That stops you from doing what God is calling you to do. It hinders your relationship, your fellowship with him because you're constantly resisting. It's funny. We, sometimes we wake up in resistance. We wake up resisting God. You know, we don't think of it that way, but we wake up. I'm, I want this, I'm going to do this, whatever's driving you. Or we can wake up, and if you've ever been depressed, it's like, I don't want to get out, just put the covers back over my head. I'm resisting God, I'm, you know. So the idol of comfort, in order to desire for comfort, I want ease and pleasure. I protect myself from things and people who can disrupt my desire. What if God called you to do ministry somewhere? I was like, well, it's a different country. I won't have my AC and... You know, seriously, that's, that's as little as, as it gets. Truth, the true comfort comes from God. So this just says jealousy, anger, low self-esteem, criticism, doubt. This is his comfort zone, and he's trapped and imprisoned by his comfort zone. Sometimes worry is more comfortable because we know what that is, and we fear the unknown. Sometimes depression. I was in a three-year depression. That was my comfort zone. I didn't want to see the sun shining. Uh, so a lot of things could keep us in our comfort zones. Idol of control, Matthew 18, 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me, I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until that debt could be paid in full. He was controlling that, that debtor even when he had been forgiven. That was his idol. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But God, I mean, I don't, it would be so much better if this was like, wouldn't you get more glory if it worked out this way? It's like, I don't understand why you're doing that. I don't understand why I have migraines in the middle of this conference. Really? <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Amen. Idol of control, manipulator, complainer, worry, busyness. I want to read busyness because when I was studying this, it shocked me. It's like, oh, that's an idol of mine. Uh, also, hypocrite, modern Pharisee, and instant gratification. 
busyness. So the devious goal of the busyness idol is to distract, is that word again, us away from God's still small voice. When you are distracted, you can't hear God. God doesn't scream at us. Sometimes he does lay us flat on our backs so that we can be still enough to hear. Sometimes the internet doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do now? You know, he, he you know, allows things like that so that we can hear his voice. The noise of busyness uh, wreaks havoc in our lives, rendering us spiritually anemic. Anemic brings in fatigue. You're just useless. We must choose the one thing necessary, and that is Jesus Christ. So the idol of control, I want everything to go my way so badly that I do whatever it takes to get what I want, even sinning. Puppet controlling people, you know, manipulation. So you're manipulating people so that you are a control freak. Truth, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this is a chart that Tim Keller came up with and a little bit of adaptations that I did. So if you want to counsel yourself, counsel somebody else, this is a good chart. You can take a picture if you want. Um, what we seek, if we're seeking power, we want success, we want to win, we want influence. What price are you willing to pay with, with this idol? Um, you're willing to be burdened by the whole responsibility of this empire that you're building. Think of um, the guy, the Ponzi scheme guy, went to prison. What's his name? The recent one, Madoff. Madoff. So if you, if you listen to his, his interviews or whatever, um, he knew what was happening and it was growing and growing, but he had his whole family involved and he was very much a burden to the point where it was kind of a relief that he got caught. Um, it went off. It's okay. Um, so the greatest nightmare is humiliation for someone seeking power. How others feel. Other people feel used by you and abused by you. The problem emotion is... And could be anger, envy, could be a lot of things, but examples of anger, envy. The sin, you lie, you cheat, you steal. Approval, you want love, affection, and relationship. Price you're willing to pay, less independent. You're needy and you're always trying to, you know, like, think you're dependent on everybody else. I can't venture out. I can't get my own place. I can't, you know, go and get this job. I can't move to this city. Greatest nightmare, rejection. If I don't get... If I don't please them, they're going to reject me. If I don't acclimate to their culture, I will be an outcast. How others feel, they feel smothered. The problem emotion, cowardice, you're, you're faint-hearted. And what happens, uh, sin, can, you can't commit adultery because you're fixated on getting the approval of somebody you shouldn't get approval of, and it can lead to that. And also uh, fornication, just you just get into relationships that you shouldn't get into. Comfort, privacy, lack of stress, ease, freedom. This is mine. Price I'm willing to pay, reduce productivity. Well, I wouldn't say reduce productivity. I would just say I'm just pacing myself, you know? <laughs> you know, relationships. I love relationships, but I'm an introvert. So, I, so when I'm out, this like takes my energy, but I get energy when I'm by myself in solitude. Extroverts are the opposite. They get energy with lots of people, and they do not necessarily like to be alone. 
So uh, greatest nightmare, stress demands, yes, because my doctor is saying, you have fibromyalgia because you're stressed. Uh, okay, how, many, how others feel, they feel hurt, you know, if I'm not responding or if I'm not building this relationship up more. Okay, probably emotion, distress, boredom. Uh, am I in the right place? Yeah, boredom. Some people, I don't get bored, but some people get bored. That's just meaning that there's a disinterest in the things of life. In, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't want, I don't want to do that. That's not my interest. Um, or I had nothing to do. Well, yes, there's plenty to do. God says that the labor is, what is it? The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. There's plenty to do. But I'm not interested, I don't want to do that. So what do we do for comfort? Abuse of food, alcohol, drugs, um, we just spin, whatever it is that comfort does. Control, self-discipline, we want certainty. We, there are standards there. Price that you're willing to pay, loneliness, spontaneity, greatest nightmare, uncertainty. Well, I don't know what's gonna happen right now. I need to have my whole life planned out. How others feel. Others feel condemned because you're controlling them. You're trying to, you're manipulating the sin that comes out. You have anxiety and depression. I mean, you manipulate people or circumstances by deception. You do whatever you can do to get that control. So keep yourselves from idols. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to still renew our minds here. Harsh reality is that our idols fail us. They make us blind to sin. That's true. We can't see it unless we're searching, like we're open to the Holy Spirit and, and stuff like this, like this conference. We become disappointed, frustrated, and fall into despair. When things don't turn out as we plan, we feel stuck in life and can't seem to move forward. We find ourselves lying, manipulating, coveting, getting jealous and angry, desperately trying to change our circumstances. We blame God for not fixing it. God, it's your fault. Why do I go to church? I do Bible study, blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you doing this for me? We cannot see the truth, and we become spiritually powerless and emotionally empty. We wonder, why am I depressed? I have everything in my life right. Why am I, why am I sad? Our idols block the enjoyment of God's love and forgiveness. If you are eating junk food and sugary stuff all the time, that salad is not going to look good to you. That salmon and asparagus is not going to look good to you. But if you're not enjoying all this other junk stuff, you're going to like, oh, this is the best salmon and asparagus ever. Right? So, I mean, it really has to be that intentional in our pursuit of God and our relationship with God. Keep yourselves from idols. First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols. There's no neutral in between. To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what is it? What is it we are to do? Turn from idols and turn to God. Why? to serve the living and true God. And what is the aim? To wait for his son from heaven. Who thinks about that? This is not on our mind to think about heaven, but you know, when suffering comes in, I mean, we began to think about that a little bit more instead of, and, and you can appreciate that as a, as a comfort idler. If I'm constantly trying to get comfortable, I'm not gonna see this. I'm not going to see the beauty of Jesus Christ coming from heaven because I'm so focused on me. 
My life is not my own. This is one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Renew your minds. I must reorient my thinking about who I am and who God is. At the moment of salvation, I gave up all rights to myself. That's Galatians 2.20. Once you became a Christian, your life is not your own. So the world is telling us, this is why it's so confusing. The world is telling us, no, you are in control. You're the captain here. You are to pursue, get everything you want, follow your passions. And we wake up every morning trying to do this because we think that's going to fulfill us because the world is telling us, us this. Give up all rights to myself and became a slave to God. When you become a slave, you don't have any rights. It's, it's given up. Everything is dictated by that master. Fortunately, we have a loving master who we can trust. And this is, just should bring us joy. My identity is in Christ. You'll hear this all, all through this weekend. My identity is linked with Christ. Linked. You cannot break it. You know, so if you begin to say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to, you're not going to say I'm going to worship my idols, but that's what you're doing. You're not going to think, you know what? I'm, I still have this identity in Christ that I'm, I'm trying to mix it up. It will never work. Never work. Jesus is my highest satisfaction. Psalm 73, 25 says something like, whom have I in heaven but you? Something, something, something. Another one of my favorites. Okay, pursue your first love. We're almost there. Pursue your first love. Remember in Revelations chapter 2, 1 through 5, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Check, check, check. You all these good things, but, well, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. That's great. You just doing amazingly. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Good on you. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Why would he even bring that up? Because all of these things that they're doing, they're doing it right, 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 right. This is what you do. This is, you know, um, but without love. So some things would be popping up. They're controlling people, manipulating people. They're putting weight on people, making it legalistic, perhaps. You know, the, the end result is right, but there's no love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If, because usually when we come to Christ in the beginning, it is out of this love relationship, you know, initially, that we feel it's an emotional experience. Usually, um, should be an emotional experience when you come to Christ. It's not a legalistic thing. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what do we do? We remember, we call to mind the things that Christ told us about himself and about who we are. We repent, meaning we leave our idols. So no matter how big your desire is for whatever your idol is, you have to leave them. That's the hardest part. Um, there's no phasing it out. Let's just roll this out, Lord. Can we just... Now he's like, no, you got to leave them. Receive with open arms his forgiveness of your sin-filled idol worship. 
and turn to God. Because we are worshipers. He created us to be worshipers. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, I would encourage you to go back to this passage and really Matthew 4 and look at the three ways Satan tempted Christ. First strategy was to challenge his identity. That was the first thing he did. Satan said, if, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't that a challenge? I mean, guys, you guys recognize a challenge, right? Male people in here. <laughs> That's a challenge. Fortunately, Jesus didn't fall for it, but we do a lot of the times. So that's the first strategy. The second strategy is to cause us to put God to the test. Satan said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third strategy, to tempt us to avoid suffering. All these things Satan said, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He was now bold. He didn't come in in a deceptive way, questioning his uh, identity. He got to the end and said, no, you, if you do this, you know, I will give you this if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Evil presents itself in disguise, making sins of distrust appearance, making sins of distrust appear as acts of faith, then ultimately shows itself in its, okay, Dr. Pierre, I am Southern, naked, <laughs> and absolute antagonism to God's divine will. So it's a progression, right? As you, as you can see, he's, he's clever. So worship God. Worship always involves our emotions and our affections. Emotions are involved. It's not just legalistic, okay? And you stand up here as church, just, you know, worship service, like songs. And then I sit down. It's, it's an emotional connection with God always. Reverence, veneration, adoration. These are emotional. Devotion, praise, thanksgiving, exaltation. Serve him only. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I'll, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Old Testament, they had dead sacrifices. We are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, holy. We're, we're separated. We're set apart. We are not like unbelievers. We are, okay, thank you. We are set apart. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world even the subtle things of this world. And we, you know, it's hard, but if we keep ourselves in the fellowship of other believers, with church, whatever, you guys are here, this is, this is a great time, you know, to help stay away from the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Matthew 4.10, the gospel expels the idols from our hearts. So there is hope. There is hope when you put your, all you need is faith 
in Jesus Christ. Because we have been crucified with Christ, our lives no longer belongs to us. And this is a constant thing we keep stumbling over, which we will, because we live in a fallen world. But remember, my life is not my own. Our intimate union with Christ enables us to live as this life by faith without bowing to idols. Our inordinate desires of power, approval, comfort, and control lead to spiritual dissatisfaction. Even if you think that, no, this is going to give me satisfaction, I'm going to keep going for it. You're deceiving yourself, you're lying to yourself, it's not going to give you what you want. They can never give us the ultimate desires of our hearts because they are useless idols. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't talk. If we commit ourselves to idols, we become like them. If we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we will reflect his glory. Let us repent of idol worship. Remember the altars here, throw your idols up here and turn to worship the truth, turn to true worship of Jesus so that we become like him. Let me pray for us. That is it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, help us with uh, the idolatry that is rampant in our hearts, that is rampant in this world all around us, and that we have an enemy who was tempting us all the time to worship our idols. Father God, I pray that you give us the faith to believe in you, to trust you, and the ability by your Holy Spirit to obey you, protect us from Satan's schemes, uh, protect us, Lord, from our own selves. Help us to die to ourselves so that we may live for you, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, that we may live for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at IBCD.org. Dot